It's 12.08. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, Eric, before you leave, did I hear, did we play a clip from Tom Barrett, the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, talking about how we've got dignitaries from the Democratic National Committee coming to look at Milwaukee today and tomorrow. Today's the big day. And the mayor's plea was, if you see somebody like wearing a sticker or something that's name tag that says they're from the Democratic National Committee, be nice to them. Is that what he said? Mm -hmm. All right. So let, let us translate. What does that mean? All right. So if you are one of the juvenile car thieves around here, the mayor would prefer that you not steal any cars belonging to out-of-town visitors for at least a day or two. If you are one of the gangbangers that shoot up this city on a regular basis, the mayor would prefer that you, well, at least stay out of the downtown area when you're committing those crimes because... We're trying to put a good foot forward here, and we're we're, we're not going to talk about car thefts, and we're not going to talk about high-speed chases, and we're not going to talk about a per capita homicide rate that exceeds Chicago because we're putting our best foot forward there, right? That's what he meant? <laughs> I'll let you interpret it how you'd like. I'm, I'm just saying. Here, all right. So, so look, that's the mayor's plea. Now, the, the mayor has made previous pleas, you know, about how let's stop the car thefts because we, you know, we now chase. So, and that hasn't worked. And the mayor's made pleas about let's let's cut out the violence because it's unacceptable. And 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 obviously that message is falling on deaf ears. So maybe maybe it'll take this into account. So again, if you're if you're out there planning to go on one of the rampages uh, of stealing cars or whatever, kind of stay out of the downtown area for the next day or so because. Well, we're trying to create that impression that, well, everything is hunky-dory. By the way, I actually, I think Milwaukee does have some things going for it. The The two other finalists for the convention are Houston and Miami Beach. It's going to be held in July of 2020. Houston and Miami Beach, warm, <laughs> to, to say the least, in July. This is perhaps the, it's perhaps the one time a year that Milwaukee's weather does have a, a leg up on Houston and Miami Beach, although... Given all the rain we've had over the last two days with more coming, I don't know exactly whether that's going to be an attraction. But bottom line is, I do think for once we have the the, uh, weather that is going for us. Hey, as we do every day, we live stream the first segment or two of the program. If you want to watch, you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Check in on what we're going to talk about before we launch into the first topic that I'm going to open the phone lines with. I, I do want to add to something that we talked about yesterday, and, and we did the segment on it. Grant Langley is the city attorney of the city of Milwaukee. He is He doesn't work for the mayor. He is independently elected, and he is hired for his judgment. The mayor of Milwaukee is a political creature, and I say that affectionately. But, you know, Tom Barrett has a different interest than Grant Langley has. Grant Langley's job is to represent the taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee in litigation. Tom Barrett's job is to, well, run the city as best he can and, in Barrett's case, try to get himself reelected on a regular basis. Back in January, you had this incident with Sterling Brown, the Milwaukee Bucks player who got into a confrontation at 2 o'clock in the morning outside a Walgreens um, on, on the south side. It led to Brown being tasered. Brown has now filed a federal lawsuit. On Friday, Grant Langley responded to the lawsuit. Essentially, it, it was the it was what's called an answer in the law, you know, denying liability on the part of the city. And saying that, you know, if there were wrongdoing, it's perhaps that uh, Sterling Brown bore some responsibility. 
Tom Barrett decided he didn't like that. And this is what's mind-boggling to me is Barrett's a lawyer. And so I, I think what Barrett must have wanted to do is just let's write a big check um, to, to Sterling Brown. Grant Langley, you know, filed an answer to this, essentially saying, all right, no, we're, we're denying liability and we're going to proceed along the lines. We're going to take this case to trial or, or maybe settle it later on. Tom Barrett was critical of Grant Langley. Well, I can't believe that we're, you know, we're doing this. I, 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 I want this thing resolved. The city attorney's office this morning took a relatively unique step by issuing a, a statement. And actually, the statement kind of tracks some of the stuff that I was talking about yesterday. But here's what the city attorney's office says. Several recent news accounts compel us to comment publicly to protect our clients. That would be you if you are a taxpayer in the city of Milwaukee from misstatements or incomplete statements about our filing Friday in Sterling Brown's civil rights lawsuit against the city, the chief, and various police officers. The document that was filed on Friday was an answer and a statement of affirmative defenses in Mr. Brown's federal lawsuit. It was not, as incorrectly implied, a motion for dismissal or a brief. It was a first filing on behalf of all defendants, something that is absolutely necessary if our clients, and that would be... Ultimately, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee who would be on the hook for any judgment, something that was absolutely necessary if our clients must seek to have a judge and jury determine whether Mr. Brown's rights under the U.S. Constitution were violated. Merely filing an answer does not, however, eliminate the opportunity to resolve this legal dispute before any trial. That's what I said yesterday. My guess is at some point in time, this case ends up settling. But for the notion and the implication that the city attorney's office shouldn't even contest this case, where does the mayor get off? The statement continues. Contrary to press reports, this answer was not inconsistent with the chief's actions as a result of this incident, nor was it inconsistent with any desire the officers had handled the matter in a different way. The chief addressed violations of police department rules governing professional, respectful, and courteous police conduct. Mr. Brown's complaint in federal court asserts much more, claiming that the officers and others violated his rights under the U.S. Constitution. And that is just such an important point that's amazing was lost in some of the commentary, including from the mayor, who once again is an attorney. City attorney is saying, okay, just because there was a an alleged violation of police department rules, doesn't mean that there's a, an actionable violation of Brown's rights under the Constitution. And, you know, we want to proceed. So th- it was completely and totally an appropriate response by the city attorney to move this case along. And I understand there's some politicians who want to see this case just kind of go away to make certain people happy. Well, Grant Langley is doing his job, period. And having said that, like I say, my guess is ultimately this case settles somewhere down the line, but it's not at that posture yet. When we come back, the governor comes out with a proposal to help get keep graduates in the state of Wisconsin, and some people poo-poo it. We will discuss. And once again, we are live streaming this segment of the program, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're live streaming this segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. All right. There's no secret that it is very expensive to go to college. There's also no secret that a number of people are coming out of college with mounds of student debt. 
Some of that is because the expense of the expense of higher education. Other parts of that debt is because people, I think, have unrealistic expectations, and they. I, I see this a lot with people going to law school. I look. I love going to law school. It was great for me. But, you know, you've got a tough market for lawyers, and sometimes people get out of school, and they don't know what to do with themselves. So they say, let's go to law school. Then they end up another $100,000 in debt, and they start complaining about it. Well, sometimes I think you have to be smart. One of the things that Governor Walker and the Republican-controlled legislature have done over the last few years is they have put a cap on in-state tuition. There hasn't been, what, an in-state tuition increase for, I want to say, three or four years. And the governor, his intention is to continue this. This is an effort to rein in college costs and to keep things affordable. But still, people come out of school and they have debt. One of the things the governor is suggesting is, all right, here's what we do. If the idea is to keep college graduates in Wisconsin, especially given the fact that with all the new economic developments, starting with Foxconn, but certainly not limited to Foxconn, you know, we're, we're going to, there's going to be jobs and there's going to be good jobs for college graduates. So one of the things the governor is proposing is saying, okay, here's the deal. We should offer $5,000 in tax relief to college graduates who stay in Wisconsin. The way this would work is that you could get if you're a new college graduate, you could get a $1,000 annual tax break, a grand per year, for up to five years if you stay in Wisconsin. So this isn't forgiveness of student debt or anything like that, but it's a tax incentive, $1,000 in tax relief if you end up staying in Wisconsin. And they say, look, this would be available to all working graduates regardless <clears throat> of, of a career. It's a little bit unclear if you're if, if you if you're a college graduate and you don't have a tax liability of a thousand dollars, whether you'd get a, a prorated thing. But my guess is that's not going to be very many people. But the bottom line is, you know, a thousand a thousand dollars a year as a carrot to help induce people to stay in the state. Okay, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, it's a per-year deal. So to get it, you, you have to stay here for each of those years. If you leave after three years, you, you don't have to pay three grand in taxes back, but it's something you can earn. earn. Now, $1,000 a year, I, I understand that that's not necessarily going to be a, a game changer in the G. I'm going to have an extra $1,000 a year, and that means that I can go out and buy a Learjet. I, I get that that's not the type of money that's involved. But nevertheless, if you're coming from a, a school in the state of Wisconsin and you have a series of different choices and you say, okay, everything being equal, I like Wisconsin, I've got a good job opportunity here, and on top of that, if I take the Wisconsin job opportunity, I'm going to get a $1,000 break every year on my taxes. I think that is a good thing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. First comment, election year gimmick. If he really cared, he would have done this years ago. Well, uh, what you've seen with Governor Walker is that they've started going after the cost of higher education by freezing tuition for several years. This is one that doesn't deprive 
the university, the Wisconsin system at least, it doesn't deprive them of any income. This would also apply to private schools too, is my understanding. But this is something that, all right, we're going to find a different revenue source and a different way of rewarding people who decide to stay in the state. Good idea, bad idea, will it work? Is is $1,000 a year off the top of your taxes, is that enough to induce somebody to stay? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Milton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I do not think it will make a difference. Um, I remember what it was like when I graduated from college, um, coming out of school. I really was not thinking about what my tax bill was going to be. And so I, I don't think it would be a huge incentive for a new grad. Um, what do you think? Do you, do you think you think that a, a new grad just isn't going to think about like cost of living at all? I don't. I don't think they do. I, I really don't. Um, I, I think there there's other factors that play in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if, if all things are equal, maybe it would have an impact. But um, I think people take a look at location, geographic location, or the type of job way before they look at tax mm-hmm. uh, incentives at that age, at least. Well, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I, that's obviously a fact. Now, look, obviously, I mean, th- this isn't going to be, oh, my gosh, I get an extra $1,000. So I, I've got this. I, I've always wanted to work in Miami Beach, and I've got a job offer in Miami Beach, so I, I'm going to pass up on that. It, it's not going to work for everyone. At the same time, it's, all right, if I could work at Foxconn, or I can work in Illinois and I get, you know, they're offering me the same amount of money and I get to stay and I get an extra thousand dollars back. I, I think it could be the deciding thing. All right. Here's a couple texts. A thousand dollar a year kickback is huge for any college student, but especially if they go to an affordable college like Parkside or Gateway. Mike in Waukesha says, um, I just graduated in May. I work in Wisconsin. I have sixty thousand dollars in debt. I would love $1,000 per year. Courtney in Stevens Point says, it seems like a good idea, but part of me would be upset since I'm a postgraduate seven years and I stayed in Wisconsin. Well, there's always going to be that. What about me? I, I didn't end up getting that deal, and, and I get it. But this is something that it's, it's moving forward. <clears throat> there's all sorts of other proposals, like I say, that are out there on tuition, that are out there trying to deal with you know debt costs. But this is just something else that's out there to give people an incentive and, and the reason I think now is a particularly timely point time is because you're seeing the type of jobs that are coming to Wisconsin. Maybe 15 years ago, we, we weren't producing these kind of jobs that would necessarily be attractive to some people who are getting out of college. They're going to have to relocate to get some of these jobs. Now with Foxconn and some other things, maybe that dynamic is changing. Bill and Grafton. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Charlie, um, I would be very strongly in favor of such a move. Um, I, I hope that the governor doesn't catch flack for being a progressive for doing so, um, but it's long overdue. Uh, I shared with your screener that I've worked in high school education in Wisconsin for the past 22 years right. uh, in, in your backyard, and, and I uh, had a lot of kids that have had to make some really tough choices around the affordability of post-secondary education. Right. Right. And, and again, it, it's, I don't know if it's a game changer. Now, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I, I understand if, if you're, 
All right, if you've got somebody that's graduating from UW Law School and they've got a $250,000 a year, start, 200 grand starting job waiting for them at a New York law firm, okay, maybe you know, say, okay, what's $1,000 here or there? But, but that's not going to be the typical sort of graduate. To me, this is just, it's another carrot that is out there that, you know, again, you dangle in front of people. And again, keep in mind, it's not five grand up front. It's just like the Foxconn deal. Foxconn doesn't get all their incentives unless they deliver at certain milestones. This is, hey, you stay that first year, you're going to get a $1,000 tax break. You're going to get a $1,000 tax break for everyone. Now, I'm getting a number of messages on our uh, Facebook page saying, well, well, how is that fair to me? I graduated 30 years ago, and I haven't gotten a tax break. Well, I understand that's always going to be the, the case it's always going to be, well, you know, what's in it for me and why didn't I get that? I'm just thinking if we're trying to be concerned about the workforce moving forward, I think it ends up being a good investment. Why do I say an investment? Well, it's an investment because if you have people that, for example, decide to stay here after they get out of college, presumably they're going to be in good jobs. Presumably they're going to continue to grow in those jobs. And if you keep them in Wisconsin out of school, maybe there's a greater chance that they'll stay in Wisconsin for their entire lifetime and pay taxes and do all the other stuff. I think it's a good investment. Is there, is there perhaps some election year aspect to it? Sure. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, but that doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. 1228 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The hunt for brew October is on. And the brewers head to Cincinnati with thoughts of a sweep on their minds. Okay, I didn't write that copy. Maybe it's just one game at a time. Let's win the first game. Game one of a three-game set between the brewers and the Reds comes to you this evening. Our coverage starts at 535. All right, they must not be getting the memo. I actually mentioned this yesterday. ESPN, there's a new president and at ESPN. And one of the things he said he wants to do is he wants to get politics out of the network. As we talked about at great length yesterday, ESPN used to be the gold standard in sports coverage. And what there's a couple of things that have been going on. First of all, you've got more networks that are coming out and doing the same thing. So you've, you've got the different Fox Sports channels and CBS and MS and the NBC Sports Channel. Um, so there, there's more places you can go for highlights and things like that. In addition, with the advent and the explosion of the Internet, you now you don't have to wait around for highlights. I mean, Sports Center was always, gee, I want to I want to see what happened in the the game between the Cubs and the Reds. Well, you, you, you tune in Sports Center at 10 o'clock. Well, nowadays you don't have to do that. Nowadays you pull out your phone, you put in whatever you're going to put in, and you can find you know, all the highlights that happened. You don't need to sit down in front of a TV. And that has hurt ESPN over the years. So they started making this move to more and more personalities, more and more personality-driven shows and more shows with commentary and stuff. Most of that has been incredibly left-leaning, and they've had a huge blowback. You had this the Jamel Hill, the, the woman who is leaving, I think Friday is her last day. They bought out her contract. She ended up getting bounced from Sports Center and suspended because she's describing President Trump as a white supremacist and talking about how she thinks advertisers should boycott Jerry Jones because he doesn't support the you know kneeling during the national anthem thing. And the new ESPN president said, look, we're, we want to go back to sports. We want to get politics out of this. 
because I think he realized that it was hurting the network. So into this now comes Max Kellerman. Now, Gru, do you know who Max Kellerman is? Doesn't sound familiar. Um, he's he he's an he he hosts he hosts a radio show out of L.A. that may be nationally syndicated on ESPN Radio. He's he's a boxing guy, and and he shows up. He does some of the ESPN boxing coverage. He's also on like the e, on HBO's like Boxing After Dark and stuff. And he's on ESPN's First Take and things like that. So he, he's one of the these commentators. Well, all right, he is now waded into it, and it involves Tiger Woods. After the final round of the Northern Trust Golf Open on Sunday, um, Tiger Woods is questioned about his relationship with with President Trump. How, how do you get along with President Trump, et cetera, et cetera? And, and here's what Tiger Woods had to say. He said, he's the president of the United States. You have to respect the office. No matter who is in office, you may like, dislike, personality, or the politics, but we must all respect the office. Okay, so that's what Woods said. Woods refuses to get drawn into, you know, one of these ongoing disputes that a lot of professional athletes have, have gotten drawn into where they start talking about politics. Woods just, I, you know, don't ask me any more about this. You've got to respect the office. He is the president, period. All right, well, this Max Kellerman yesterday decides, he, he, he decides to take off on, on Tiger Woods. And here's what he says. He says that Wood's statement saying we should respect the office was a thoughtless statement dressed up as a thoughtful statement. And it either holds in contempt the intelligence of people who hear it or else it's just a stupid thing to say. To say you have to respect the office. Tiger, be clear. Are you saying that the office therefore confers respect on its present temporary occupant? No. Having respect for the office means principally, in my view, is the office holder should have respect for the office. Um, he continues, we are held to a standard of behavior. We at our jobs, right? People in their daily lives. The president, if anything, is held to a higher standard of behavior. It is not such that we have great respect for the office, no matter what the behavior of the occupant. We must respect the occupant because of the office. No, Tiger Woods is being slick. We must respect the office. Therefore, that confers respect to the occupant. I'm not even sure what that means. Tiger, is that what you are saying? If that is what you are saying, that is a stupid um, comment. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So here you have Tiger Woods, who who has known apparently Donald Trump for years. Before he was President Trump, they ate together, they played golf together. I don't know if they're friends or whatever. But, but Tiger Woods has known President Trump for a long time. He just declines to get involved and declines to criticize the president, saying we have to have respect for the office. All right, Max Kellerman goes after Tiger, saying, oh, it, that's just, it is a stupid thing to say. In other words, you should be out there, I guess, showing solidarity with those of us on the left in the world of sports and here at ESPN. You should be out there criticizing him. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Here you have an ESPN host ripping Tiger Woods for refusing to rip on President Trump. Do you fault Tiger Woods? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Do you think Tiger Woods handled this in an inappropriate fashion? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Who's out of line here? Tiger Woods, 
for sort of passing when prodded in, in an effort to try to get him to rip on President Trump or the ESPN host who's decided to rip on Tiger Woods because he refused to criticize President Trump. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a minute. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me be really clear. Lefty blowhards like Max Kellerman are the reason why people are stopping and watching ESPN. People tune into ESPN as opposed to Fox News or MSNBC because they want sports. They don't want some loudmouth blowhard offering their particular brand of political commentary, typically from the, the left. All right. Um, Tiger Woods decides for whatever reason, and he doesn't want to wade into the political controversies that are going on here. Who knows? Maybe it's because he, he, Donald Trump is a personal friend of his. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because, given all the issues that Woods have had in his life, he just doesn't want to get out in front in a very contested political environment. Whatever, that's his choice. So he's asked in this interview, you know, you know, what do you think about Donald Trump, etc.? And he just says, look, I think you have to respect the office of the presidency. Boom, and then he wants to move on, and he's criticized for that. Four one four seven nine nine. One six twenty. Steve in Huberta. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think of this? Well, I think Max Kellerman is taking a a statement and making his own opinions on it, and just running. He, he is wrong and adding to it. It was a simple statement saying we need to respect the office of the president, and it's it's a simple statement that nothing else needs to be said. Right, and, and, and clearly, I mean, okay, this is Tiger Woods who, who doesn't want to get sucked into this. He does, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to play along with this, and I think he has every right to simply say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to get involved in this. We got to respect the office of the presidency. How can any reasonable person disagree with that? Uh, that is 100% <laughs> correct. It's, it is a professional statement from a true professional, so. Yeah. And why take it any further? Right, exactly. And th- thanks for the call. I mean, it, it, right, it, that's exactly it. It's he Look, you, you've got a lot of these athletes who are making the decisions nowadays that they want to use their public profile to try to, you know, influence public policy. Okay, fine. Here you have somebody and if you listen to this program, I'm not a huge Tiger Woods fan because of, you know, the, the character issues, but it, it, if he doesn't want to play along with this, he has every right to do it. Here's Mitch who texts. Tiger was being pretty benign, which is actually refreshing when everyone seems to bash Tiger. He's a slightly bigger deal than this commentator who maybe should uh, jump in the pool at MSNBC. Another text. Tiger Woods handled this like a classy professional athlete. I wish more athletes took note. Debbie texts. I like Tiger Woods now. Um, yeah, let's see another text. Kellerman is simply wrong. We need to respect the office of the president and show some respect for Mr. Woods. Here, here's the bottom line. This idea that you are going to be attacked now on ESPN if you decide that you, you just want to take a pass. You don't want to get drawn into the political rancor that's out there, and now you're going to be attacked by, by again, some loudmouthed left-wing boxing commentator. Um, oh, gee, this is – I mean, I, I, you go back to what he said. 
you know, um, and it either holds a, con- it's a thoughtless statement dressed up as a thoughtful statement, and it either holds a contempt for the intelligence of people who hear it, or else it's just a stupid thing to say. Well, it's really nice and refreshing, I guess, to know that you've got one of these ESPN boxing commentators who's going to be telling people what they think is stupid and what they think is not stupid to say if they don't get drawn into this. And, you know, if, let's say Tiger Woods said, you know, I've known Donald Trump for years and years and years. We've played golf together. I understand that he's kind of controversial, but I like the direction that this country is taking, and I, I support him. If he would have said that, can you imagine how the talking heads would have gone absolutely nuts? Similarly, if he had decided to get drawn in and said, well, I'm not happy with a lot of the stuff that President Trump is doing, then Tiger Woods, who's trying to play his game back into shape, then he's back in the news on that. He gets the right to take a pass. And if I am the president of ESPN, who, like I say, just a couple days ago said, the politics here is, well, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we're getting politics out of this network. He, he essentially said, we made a mistake in going this, this direction where instead of offering people sports, we've turned into a mini little MSNBC, and we're, we're trying to dial that back. And obviously you've got some guy like Max Kellerman who hasn't gotten the memo there. It is this tribalism that's out there. And again, maybe this is going to play well to a certain segment of the audience, but if you're trying to appeal to that broader audience who, when you want your politics you turn into Fox News or you turn into MSNBC or maybe you tune into this program from time to time. That's what you want. When you're watching SportsCenter, you want to know how did Tiger Woods do in the Northern Trust Open? Huh. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So what we do on the program every day is for the first segment or two, we, we, we live stream it on Facebook. Yesterday, we, we talked about the controversy involving President Trump and his refusal to put out an official White House statement following the passing of John McCain and also the decision to not fly the flags at half staff through the end of the week when when President when uh, Senator McCain is going to be buried. That's been the custom in recent years. The last four senators have passed away. By presidential proclamation, that's how it's been handled. President Trump decided to not issue a formal statement and not order the flags flown at half-staff, at least up until yesterday. We had a very, very heated conversation. Like I say, it's you know, I think like 1,700-plus people were just tuned in to watch that segment, and it's still up and available. But my sentiment and the sentiment, I think, of the majority of people was that it was, it was a petty act. It, it just... It, 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 I understand that there was no love lost between John McCain and Donald Trump. I get all that. But at the same time, here you have a guy who spent his life in public service. You know, he was the Republican nominee for president. He had a distinguished military career. I think one of the things that was absolutely inexcusable is during the 2016 campaign where then Donald Trump, candidate Trump, says, well, I, I, you know, John McCain, he's not a hero to me. You know, heroes are the ones that don't get shot down. That was just so incredibly thoughtless. It, it just, and, and I think irresponsible. And maybe it got a laugh line, but I, I thought it was just, just appalling. So there's no love lost between them. But Senator McCain died. This, this is an easy one. See, some decisions that you got to make in politics and public life are hard. This, this is an easy one. Senator McCain is dead. 
honor the man's passing. And that was the point that I was, was making yesterday. Because this is, this was, I, I think, a dominant story on newscasts and on talk shows all across the country. And I, I, I understand that there's people who don't think President Trump could do any wrong. It's, oh, Don, John McCain was this or that or the other thing. But he, he devoted his life to public service. All right. And, and again, it's an easy thing to do. He's dead. Right, you're you're not fighting him anymore. To the extent that those there were battles between the two of you, those, those battles are over. It would have been an easy thing to do, and, and President Trump just couldn't do, in my opinion, the right thing. But but more importantly, even if you disagree with me that you know it was the right thing to do, what happened is it created a distract distraction by not issuing you know an official White House statement and by not doing what has been done in the past for the last X number of senators who've died, you, you end up creating this issue, and President Trump makes himself look petty. Well, what, what ends up happening is, I think somebody goes to the president and says, do you understand how this is all playing out? And so with very little fanfare, they reverse themselves. And yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden, the flags you know get lowered uh, again, and the president comes out with a statement you know, acknowledging the passing in more detail. It was the right thing to do. It, it, it was. But I guess the concern that I have about all of this was that this is another example where President Trump's instincts just, just let him down big time. It was, in my opinion, a gratuitous slap at a guy who's passed away. You could have done without any political capital at all. I mean, it's like not like John McCain is going to come back to haunt you. Without any expense of political capital at all, you could have honored somebody, even if that person was your adversary. You could have been the bigger person, and it wouldn't have ended up being a story that makes you look petty. And yet the president was unable to pass that by. It ties in with the greater narrative. And I, I understand I infuriate people on both sides of the aisle when I say this. I think Donald Trump does a lot of really good stuff for this country. I, I do. I, I think there's a lot of policies which are very, very positive. But the problem is that that message and the results of these policies get stepped on a lot by what I think is the, the need to punch down and the counterpunching and the thin skin stuff and the picking fights that are completely unnecessary or the gratuitous mean spiritedness. And that's what I think happened, you know, yesterday. And I think to his credit, President Trump or at least somebody close to him recognized that and they said, look, this, do we really want to be going through and fighting this particular battle on this particular issue? So they've ended up doing the right thing. But if they would have done the right thing immediately, it would not have been an issue, and that's where I think the president and the people around him just, just have a lot of growing to do because they step on their message when they do this other silliness. In any event, flags have now been lowered again. It is the right thing to do, and we can move on. When we come back, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. All right, my my parents taught me to say, Sir, am. I guess that doesn't happen so much anymore. Pittsburgh's without a newspaper. The Bucks Arena. If you've seen it, is it worth it? It's all coming up. Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sir, Eric, have you gotten lumped with rain in the last couple of days? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, us too. It's just been, because uh, you live in Washington County, right? I live just on the border of Washington and Waukesha. Okay, and I, I live in Ozaki County, and we've gotten 
you know, we, we've just gotten whooped. So this this morning, it, now this is admittedly a first world problem. So I'm getting ready for the radio show, and, and my little dog. Sometimes you have to coax her to go out. Sure. She she not this morning. She's right, but she's going roof roof. And there, I said, do you have to go out? And there's then she, you know, no coaxing. She just kind of runs to the door and stands there. So the, the dog needed to go out. And then <laughs> once I saw what she did, as soon as we get out, I, I knew that there was an urgency. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I I take her out. The guy across the street from me, and we we have. We live in this condo complex, extremely nice neighbors. They, they really are nice. He's putting his golf clubs in his car. <laughs> and I went up and I said, where are you going to play golf? I'm just, I'm just curious. And meanwhile, the dog is looking at me like, stop talking, Dad. You know, I got to right. do my business yeah. here. You know, and I said, where are you going to play golf? And he says, well, we're supposed to play up at Whistling Straits, you know, which is, of course, the high-end course mm-hmm. at Kohler where they've had, you know, all the big tournaments and stuff. And, yeah. Right. And, of course, we're going to have the Ryder Cup. And, yep. and Whistling Straits is one of those things where if you get invited to go, I mean, you look forward to it if you're a golfer for, for months and months. And he's low. And, of course, you have to take caddies and all. And I'm just... That course has to be underwater. It just, it just has to be. And I said, are you going to play? So I haven't got an email yet saying that I can't go. And I said, well, kind of, kind of good luck to you. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, he's worried about, you know, I'm I'm worried about flooding and, you know, he's probably worried about whether you can play golf or not. But it was, (laughs) it's just, I, I, I cannot wait till we get through this evening. And hopefully this is one of those times where I'm really hoping against hope it's a bust forecast Mm because candidly, we have enough water. All, all of this entire area has enough water. And, the last and week. It's, it's not only just the heavy rain, but just the severe weather aspect that we can expect tonight, too. They, we're under an enhanced risk for severe weather, which means not only heavy rain, but also the risk of, of course, flash flooding, uh, straight line winds, right. anything that comes with that. So it's it's going to be... When well, you see these streets that are just out, I mean, Saltville yeah, essentially... Yeah inaccessible and accessible and you know the problems they've had in port washington and if the milwaukee river crests all the people that live around there so again i i'm hoping against hope that uh the meteorologists have this wrong or at least that it's not anywhere near as bad as they mm-hmm. hope but because like yesterday i i mean the initial forecast was the rain was going to stay north of this area and that didn't happen i mean it just it rained around my place from about three o'clock on until six or six thirty so hopefully we'll get through that and hopefully my neighbor will have gotten his round in at Whistling Straits. That's, uh, boy, I tell you, no roll on that golf ball today. That's If you're able to play, just no roll on that golf ball. All right. Now, at some point in time, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, this will happen to you. Have you become a sir yet? You know, that is not, not knighted by the, the queen, but have you become a sir? N- not in most cases, right. It, you know, where, where people start to refer to you as, as sir. I, I, of course, now I am, and, and I don't know when that exactly happened. You know, I don't know what age it was, but now people will say, well, yes, sir, no, sir, just kind of as, you know, again, you, you reach a certain age where you're just kind of a sir, and I don't, it just, it happened overnight. I don't exactly know when it happened, but now it's, it, it's like you will find, and, and this is, this is fine. I am incredibly happily married, but you will also find, Gru, as you get older, there's going to be a certain point in time where you become invisible to young women. You just you just do you're 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 like their dad or their granddad or whatever and I don't know where that is exactly but there's a certain time you're just invisible you just you don't count they don't see you a- at all you might think they see you they don't it's just kind of the reality which is I'm cool with it but I admit there might have been a time in my life where where did this happen I become a sir and you just all of a sudden you know you're 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 just like invisible to the the sweet young things and it's it it's just it's fine I I've, I have I have learned to live with that. But I, I have become a sir. And and that's all right. 
because when I was being when when I was brought up, um, my parents, I think they did a lot of stuff right. I, I, I think they did, but one of the things that they drilled into me was the concept of respect for your elders, and that that has not that has not left me. So to this day, and and sometimes it actually comes through. I, I think when I'm I'm talking to you on the radio, um, I will in real life. At work life, I, I will frequently, I say, yes, sir, no, sir. I say, yes, ma'am. I say, no, ma'am. I, I, that's just, it is the way I was brought up. And I understand that I, I might be saying, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, to somebody who might be, you know, younger than me. But it's, it's just, it's the way I was brought up. And, and so that is part of my vocabulary. Yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. All right. I bring this up. Because there's a story that has now gone national about a 10-year-old boy. He's a fifth grader in North Carolina. And he was raised by his parents to say, sir and ma'am. And so, he, he's, in my opinion, he, he's learned properly. So what happens is he goes to school. School has just started. He's a fifth grader. He refers to his teacher female teacher, fifth grade teacher, he calls her ma'am. Says, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, whatever. Now, I, I, I know we probably have a lot of teachers who are listening right now who are thinking, wow, I would love to be called sir or ma'am. You should hear the things that the kids call me. But the kid calls the teacher ma'am. Apparently, she tells him, I'm not a ma'am. Don't, don't call me ma'am. And he calls her ma'am again. And it's not, it's not like, from, from all the accounts, it's not like he's trying to be honorary or anything like that. It's just kind of a reflex. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. You know, no, sir. That type of stuff. So the teacher hits the roof when he calls her ma'am. So the way the story goes, the kid gets home, um, gets off the, the school bus and is apparently very upset. His mom says, what happened? And he says, well, I got in trouble today. And the mom says, oh, well, what did you do? He said, well, I called the teacher. I said, yes, ma'am, to the teacher. And the mother says, wait, there must be something more to this. What What do you mean? You, you said, yes, ma'am, and you got in trouble. He said, look, here's what she did. She made me write, ma'am, um, dozens of times by hand. Four times on every line. You know, like you, you used to have to stay after school if you had to stay after school and write back when they had those chalkboards. You know, I will not chew gum in class or I will not talk in class, that type of stuff. The assignment as punishment that this teacher gave the kid, fifth grader, was to write ma'am over and over again. Um, and he said, well, I, I, I called her ma'am. Um, after she asked me not to, and I just kind of slipped up, and so she gave me this assignment. So he brings it home, and he and he shows this to the parents. And again, the parents they say, "Well, this is how we raised our kids to refer to adults as ma'am and sir, out of respect." Um, so the parents get hacked off at this. Parents get hacked off at this, and apparently. They were asked, as part of this assignment, the kid has written ma'am over and over again. The parents were asked to sign it 
you know, as acknowledgement that the kid had reported his punishment to him. Well, now, look, I, I understand sometimes parents overreact when discipline is applied at school. But in this particular case, the parents say, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. So mom goes in and demands to see the principal. And the mom says, what, what is this going on here? I mean, yeah, here, here's the punishment sheet. And yes, I, I've signed it, but here's the dictionary definition of the word ma'am which is a term of respect of polite address used for a woman. And then she says, I want, I want my kid out of this class, out of this woman's class, and they agreed to do this. The teacher, well, they won't say what has happened to her as a result of this. They say it has been handled appropriately by the K-7 principal. Um, I don't know what exactly that means. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I would imagine, you know, in public high schools, there's all sorts of ways that teachers are referred to by students, many of which are unflattering, offensive, whatever. In this case, the kid uses the term ma'am, and the teacher objects. Is this an objectionable term? Should the kid be disciplined? Or is there something going on with this teacher that would, I don't know, cause her to react to what I think is, generally speaking, a, a term of respect? 414-799-1620. Should the child have been disciplined for saying ma'am? We discuss next. It's 119. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I was raised... Ann and Jack Wagner raised me to respect my elders. I, I just, I grew up saying yes, sir, and no, sir. That's just the way I am. I say that to this day to, to people, you know, it, it, sometimes if, if I'm trying to flag down a, a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, I, it's not, hey, buddy, it's, excuse me, ma'am, or sir. It's just, it's the way I was raised. All right. It, it's not, I, I, it's kind of a gesture of, I, I think, respect. If you're just tuning in, 10 year old kid in North Carolina, Goes to school, he refers to his teacher as ma'am, because that's how he was raised. She apparently tells him, we don't say that. And then, I think pretty much out of force of habit, he calls her ma'am again. She sends him home, and with punishment, he's got to write the word ma'am out, time after time after time. And then the parents have to sign it. Well, the parents sign it, but they go in and say, what the, you know what is going on here? 414-799-1620, Kathy in Cedarburg. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, did, did ma'am suddenly become a, I don't know, a bad word to say when referring to someone? I don't think it's suddenly. Back in 1982, my husband was interviewing for his first job, and it was here in Milwaukee. And he was raised like you were, and this young man was raised. And the woman that was interviewing, he kept calling her yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Sure. He thought he was being very respectful. And then after the interview was over, this woman went and told associates that there's no way she would hire this man, my husband. And the associate said, well, why? And she said, because he keeps calling me ma'am. Um, she was Japanese. And in Japan, ma'am means prostitute. Okay. <laughs> this woman thought my husband interviewing for a job kept calling her prostitute. So. They corrected her, and uh, my husband got hired by the company, and he's been there for many years. Yeah, well, I, right. I, I don't think this woman from, was from Japan. I, I, I just, I mean, it, it's. I guess I don't know, Kathy. If 
If someone were to say to you, excuse me, ma'am, you, you left this behind or something, would you be offended by that? No, in fact, I'm just like you. You're being called sir. I'm being called <laughs> ma'am. I'm 60 years old. I've come to accept it. Right. I, I do take it as a sign of respect. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks for calling. I mean, at some point in time, that that's again, that's that's what happens to you. But it's, I mean, I I would think that that would be a positive. Like I say, my guess is most school teachers would say, "Wait, all right, the the, the parents have taught the child to address me." I'm, I'm, and again, she's the kid's teacher, so it's not like they're contemporaries or anything. She's the kid's teacher. I would say, "Sir" or "Ma'am" would be intended as a as a gesture of respect. Let's talk to Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Yeah, uh, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I, what does this teacher want to be called? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, uh, it, 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 this, this, this young man should be applauded. You know, it, 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 it's getting rare and rare these days that you have young people that show that kind of respect, uh, you know, that, that we had in the past. You know, we even yeah. back in the day, you used to have to ask permission just to leave the table, you know, the dinner table. And, and 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 yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. It, it, it was it was again a sign of respect for for the individual uh, the adult that you were talking to, and 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 I applaud the parents. I applaud the parents for going in and, and protecting their child because the child was probably traumatized. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing the right thing, and I'm getting punished for doing the right thing. Yeah, where did right where yeah where did this particular thing come from? No, thanks for calling. I mean that, that that that's that's it. Here's a text. Um, this is from Kim. Is she not from North Carolina? I was called ma'am by my younger cousins from South Carolina when I was 18 and they were little. That's how it is there. The teacher seems to be incredibly out of touch. Melissa in Cedarburg. Melissa, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just yes, say, I see. Um, I just, yeah, I, yes, ma'am. I, <laughs> thank I, you. I, that, I appreciate that. See, that. And, and that was, just, that was natural. That's, and that's, if you go back and listen see? to tapes, I'm sure I do that all the time. Yes, ma'am. And you're very you, welcome. <laughs> right. Um, no, I've, I've always grown up to, you know, have, you know, be respectful to people, even if they were my age or other ages, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I'm 37 and I have, you know, I I was always a young mom, um, and even when my daughter was in high school and I was only six or, or sixteen or seventeen years older than them, they would call me ma'am, right. and I thought that was amazing. You know, because it's like you don't you don't get that kind of respect anymore nowadays. So I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just think this world is so overly sensitive nowadays, and it just makes me sick. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess I don't. I mean, again, I don't even know what could be the basis of finding that to be uh, offensive, especially when it's coming from, you know, a a 10-year-old, in this particular case, who is one of your students. You would think that you would appreciate that that it's a gesture of respect. Yeah. 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 And I just, you know, I would applaud the parents for actually teaching them. And you know what? Keep it going. Right. Keep it going no matter what any teacher or anybody else has to say about that. You know, just keep it going. Yeah, no, thanks for calling, Melissa, because the kids are being raised properly. Well, the the bottom line of all this is that, that the the teacher is apparently still teaching there. They said they've disciplined her, but they won't say, they said they've resolved this, but they won't say how. The mom said, I just I just don't think my child should be in this woman's class, and they've, they've ended up moving the, the kid, but the teacher is still there. Like I say, this, 
I, I understand that sometimes people can be offended and stuff, and I understand that there's reasonable people that disagree about things, but for for goodness sake, you're offended at being called a ma'am? I don't think so. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Harley Davidson and the White House have been at odds, and now the vice president heads to town as the motorcycle company gets set to celebrate its 115th anniversary. Ahead of his visit, Mike Pence joins Scott Warris at 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in. I, I understand some people are saying, well, you've, you've got this interplay. You've got you know, President Trump, who's been... You know, using Harley kind of as a whipping boy, and now you've got all the Harley riders coming in, and you've got Mike Pence coming in. I, I doubt the two. I doubt the twain will meet. I, I doubt that too many of the Harley riders who are coming from all over the country to celebrate Harley's 115th anniversary. I I doubt that they're going to be too worked up about you know Vice President Pence's appearance uh, raising money for Leah Vukmir. Just saying, if you are keeping track, the not deep enough tunnel. 71% full right now, um, with more water rushing into it. Uh, there will, there have been over the recent days, there have been dumps. My guess is there'll be another dump coming up relatively soon. And again, I, I, I talk a lot about the, the deep tunnel here, and it's, it is not intended as a criticism of MMSD. The folks at MMSD do the best, in my opinion, do the best they can with a very flawed system. And again, I continue, as somebody who's lived in this area most of my life, I continue to be amazed that you have all these environmentalists around, you know, people who get worked up over this or that or the other thing, who continue to accept a a flawed system. I mean, again, let's review the building. You've got two types of, of water. You've got the storm water. It rains really hard. It runs off the roof. You know, it goes down. It goes into storm sewer drains. And then it, it, it goes out. And then you've got, and now it's not a bad thing to treat, you know, stormwater because it picks up, you know, particles as it runs off the roof and things, but that doesn't have to be treated. Then you've got the sanitary sewers, the bathtubs, the toilets. That stuff has to be treated. And in most communities, the storm sewers are separate from the sanitary sewers. And so the storm sewers run off. It goes into Lake Michigan or wherever, or the rivers or whatever. The the sanitary sewers, that stuff gets treated, all right? In Milwaukee, portions of Milwaukee and portions of Shorewood, the storm sewers are combined with the sanitary sewers. So you get all the runoff from the roofs and the rainwater, and that mixes in with all the stuff from people's toilets, all right? So now you have the sanitary sewers that need treatment, but all of a sudden you've got all this other water that is rushing in as well that otherwise wouldn't need to be treated, but now it does because you're mixing it with the stuff from people's people's toilets. Well, years and years ago, instead of doing the obvious thing, which was to spend the money and separate the sanitary sewers from the storm sewers in Milwaukee and Shorewood, the region came up with, partly because of pressure from Milwaukee, because people in Milwaukee didn't want to just pay for the cost of doing this, so we, we built the deep tunnel. So now you get all the water that runs off, and it's stored in the deep tunnel where it is ultimately treated. And the problem is the deep tunnel's not big enough. It's not deep enough. You can't build something that's big enough or deep enough when you have some of like these monster rainfalls that we've been going through over the last week or so. So the deep tunnel fills up 
with storm water, which is mixed with sanitary, with, with water from sanitary sewers that needs to be treated. So it gets full. And once it hits a certain point, I forget what the percentage is, they open up the gates and they start dumping it because if it fills up, then what happens is you have backlogs and you have sewage in people's basements and that creates health risk and you can't have that. So the folks at MS, MMSD do the best they can with a, a flawed system, understanding that whenever there's really, really heavy rainfalls, they're not going to have too many choices. This is going to be the way it is until we bite the bullet and we say to the city of Milwaukee and to Shorewood, you've got to separate the sewers. The combined sewers from the sanitary sewers have to be separated so we can treat the stuff that needs to be treated but not have everything else run into this deep tunnel, which ultimately you know, is never going to be deep enough. So when I say these things, it's not a criticism of MMSD. I appreciate what they do. I don't want sewage backing up into people's basements. You've got to dump. You've just got to dump. But that's only because there is a flawed system. Separate the combined sewers from the sanitary sewers. Spend the money. And, yes, it's going to be a burden on taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee. Yes, it's going to be a burden on people in Shorewood. But if that's the real cause of the problem, and I understand there's other things going on as well, including laterals that leak and stuff like that. But if you if you start by separating the sewer systems, at least you've got a head start on the problem and maybe you can eliminate the dumping dramatically. There will, I'm afraid, if these weather forecasts come true, there's probably going to be another dumping. Who knows how soon it's going to start? Nobody wants to see it, but as long as we've got a deep tunnel system that isn't deep enough, that's what's going to end up happening. Separate the sewers, and maybe you make a lot of the problem go away. All right, when we come back, was it worth it? Stick around. 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I missed the, the media availabilities to go tour Fiserv Forum. Not the Fiserv Forum, but Fiserv Forum. So I had not been in the new Bucks Arena until last Thursday afternoon. Um, Karen D'Alessandro from our sister radio station, WKTI, was doing this, sit in the various seats, and my wife and I went down to kind of help her out. We we ended up with a number of people doing a section of of the, the seats. But it was the first time that I had been into Fiserv Forum, and so I, I kind of looked around a little. Um, there were a couple things that struck me. First of all, the the concourses, much, it seems to me, my impression was much broader, much wider, looked like a lot more choices for different types of concessions. You know, sometimes at the Bradley Center, if you would get in there, and at halftime in particular, you'd be like sardines as people try to move around. Looked like there were more restroom facilities. It looked a lot more fan-friendly. I didn't get up in the, the suites, but I was kind of behind the scenes a little bit. And then, you know, I was up in the stands. There appears, at least on the first level, I was not up on the second level, but in the first level, there appears to be more leg room, um, and the seats seem to be to be a bit more comfortable. So I, I think it's going to be a better experience for watching a game. At the same time, you know, it costs $500 million, so you, you would expect it would be a better experience. I haven't had an opportunity. I kind of went in 
went in where we were supposed to go, and then just came out after we were done. I haven't had a chance to walk around the plaza yet, so I, I really don't have a position and opinion on the development yet. And to me, as I've said before, the question as to whether or not this facility is going to be a success isn't just going to be based on, gee, is it a good experience going into the facility, but it's going to be, is this going to lead to the development of the area around there? You know, are you going to have this be the centerpiece of a renaissance for that kind of park east area? If it turns out that the only thing that happens is, you know, business that used to go to some of the places up on 3rd Street now just kind of migrates down, well, then I don't know if it's going to be a success or not. But if, if you can create this energy, bring more people to the area, then I think it's ultimately going to be a success. So, I mean, the jury's out. I do I don't like the exterior of it, but that's just me. But inside, I, I think people are going to be blown away. Well, all right, you've got the first concert that's coming up in about a week or so, I, I think September 4th. Then you're going to have the different basketball teams that are going to kick off their play. A number of people went down over the weekend and got their first look at it. It's it's an expensive proposition, $250 million in taxpayer funds matched by another $250 million plus from the, the Bucks owners. So let's tee this up. And I'm particularly interested in your perspective if you happen to be one of the people that, that took a chance and, and went down and actually took a look at it when they had the open house over the weekend. But now it's built. It's going to be opening for real very, very soon. Was it worth it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we going to look back on the new downtown facility as a huge waste of taxpayer dollars, as a huge white elephant, or are we going to look at this and say, you know what, this is something that ended up needing to be done, and this has led to, well, I'm going to say renaissance, um, of that area of the city of Milwaukee. Is it going to be worth it? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know there's a lot of people who probably haven't had a chance to see it, but if you've if you've been in it, I would be particularly interested in your opinion. Like I say, um, my response was incredibly favorable, but for $500 million, it, it should be favorable. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do think it's going to be a great place. It's going to be a great venue to watch a show, to watch a basketball game, you know, to watch some of the other stuff that they're going to have here. I think it's very, very fan-friendly. Now, again, like I say, to me, that's not the ultimate determiner in, in whether or not it's worth the expenditure of taxpayer dollars. It's going to be, is it an incubator for other stuff? 4147, and we won't know that for a while, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it worth it? Gru is lining up the calls. I'll be back to talk about this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, Gru, you're looking at me like you... I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I tell this story. I'm Okay, so we have... Every once in a while, we have extra brewer tickets, and, and so they put out this memo. Anyway, I want a brewer ticket. The thing comes out literally two and a half minutes ago. I'm on the break. I send this note saying, gee, I, I'd like tickets to this particular game. I get a note back saying, they're gone. How could they be gone? It was just 30 seconds. How could they be gone? Now, it's fine. I don't begrudge other people having them. But, see, I don't think they really exist. I think this is just the way that people mess with us. Huh. 
<laughs> what can you say? 414-799-1620. All right, the uh, new Pfizer for the Pfizer, it's Pfizer forum, not in front, of, not a V in front of it. The Pfizer forum is going to have its first event on September 4th, concert from the Killers. I was in there last week. I am extremely impressed with the facility. Is it worth it? And I ask this because even after all these years, we still have an ongoing debate about Miller Park, which I think has more than delivered what people would expect. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Hey, yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, well, you tipped on my point a little bit. I'm wondering how populated this thing's going to be in order to pay back the two and a half million or two hundred and fifty million that we shell up for this thing. I mean, back in the day, we pumped out you know four hundred, four hundred and fifty million for Miller Park, and right. that thing's paid for now. So it's been more than successful. So I don't think you can really say right now you got to wait, you know, 10, 15 years down the road to see what happens. Well, in your opinion, what what's going to be the determining factor that's going to decide whether it's a success or not? I mean, now, obviously, the Bucks they made a long-term commitment, so the Bucks are going to be here. It's going to be a place where the Marquette basketball team plays. But what's going to decide down the line whether it's been a success or not? Uh, when people higher than your my pay scale figures out when this money is going to be reinvested, when that two hundred and fifty million, you know, is ultimately paid back. Yeah, okay, thanks. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be paid back. There, there's no question about that. I guess the 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 issue is going to be if you had two hundred and fifty million dollars in taxpayer money, would it be? better invested in other things. And, you know, I would tell you, one of the things that, that sold me on the downtown development was, unlike Miller Park, and, and by the way, I think Miller Park, huge success. I, I'm a huge fan of, of Miller Park. I think it more, I think it over-delivered. I'm glad we did it. But, you know, one of, the, I think, the determining things that we saw here was, keep in mind that this really is a public-private partnership. I mean, you had the ownership of the Bucks that stepped up, and they didn't say, here, we expect you, the community, to build this facility all with taxpayer dollars. I mean, they put their money where their mouths are, and I think, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for that. So it, it is a partnership type of arrangement. I, you know, yesterday we were talking about former Mayor John Norquist, who wrote this thing about in urban Milwaukee, which is one of the you know news websites that's around here, about how he thinks the you know the streetcar is going to be so great, and and he was you know talking about how he you know led the fight to tear down the Park East Freeway. Well, I mean, I was around when that happened, and you know the the idea was if we tear down the Park East Freeway, there's going to be all this development down in in that area. Well. It was a false promise. It, it didn't happen. For years and 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 years, the Park East Freeway was was a moonscape, just a, a complete and total moonscape. And the, the thing now that has changed that is the fact that you have this new arena that is down there, and now you have some of the explosion of you know retail and some commercial, and, and maybe there's going to be some residential as well. That that's really been the catalyst, I think, which has largely, you know, turned that area around and might help develop the the place up by Paps and all that. So, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of potential that is is there, and that to me is the real selling point of the Bucks Arena, the of Pfizer Forum. It's the fact that it it, it has 
arguably value for Milwaukee beyond just the okay, it's a place for the basketball teams to play. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with having a nice place for the basketball teams to play. Like I say, I think anybody, once you attend your first event there, whether it's a Bucks game or a Marquette game or a concert or whatever, my sense is that you are going to be very, very pleased with the, the experience that's there. And again, my only complaint about it is I, I, the exterior I do not find to be appealing, but I don't know. I'm sure if you show people all sorts of things, they'll have all sorts of different opinions of it. I Inside, I, I think everybody's going to just absolutely love it. Bottom line is it is opening up, and I think that's going to be a good thing. When we come back, a town without a daily newspaper and something I've been waiting to discuss with you for two days, the rise of bowling. Yes, bowling. Stick around. It's all coming up. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's two eight. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, do you know who Tim Conway is? Yes. Rue, do you know who Tim Conway is? Uh, that, that, okay, he says it sounds familiar. Okay, well that that wasn't the <laughs> that wasn't the question. <laughs> Let me go back to my lawyer. The question was, do you know who Tim Conway is? Not no. Okay, all right. Then, then right. Then then you you say no. It sounds familiar. Okay, th- right. No. All right. Tim Conway, um, how do you know? What, what well, is I know he's, a, he's an actor. Right. I don't remember what he exactly okay. he was in, but... Tim Conway, um, I think arguably one of the greatest comedians of his generation. You might... Carol Burnett. He was... Of course, yeah. He, he started off... Um, he was on a, a show in the 60s called McHale's Navy with Ernest Borgnine. That was his like first role. But he, he's a comedian. And he was in... I, probably that was his greatest claim to fame. He was on the Carol Burnett show for a number of years and then went on to do a series of movies and stuff. But really, uh, just, uh, just a, a really good guy. I bring this up because he, he's involved apparently in one of these end of life things. He apparently is battling dementia and the reports are he's almost entirely unresponsive. And I guess the reports are there, there's a battle. He's, his daughter is fighting his second wife over you know who who makes custodial decisions he he's the daughter is like 54 years old he's 84 and he's been married for 34 years but it's not the daughter's mom so i assume there's some issues going on here and the daughter is now apparently uh going to court suing for to be named the conservator of her father and to be in charge of medical treatment. So like right now the, the spouse is taking that and the, uh, the daughter is alleging that the spouse is planning to move him out of the skilled nursing facility where he is and put him in another one or something like that. So I don't know what's going on there, but it sounds like it's, it's going to be a complicated situation. It sounds like it is a complicated situation, but the bottom line is Tim Conway, very, very big star on TV in the seventies and, um, made a lot of people laugh and just uh, a somebody who was incredibly entertaining and it sounds like kind of in some situations with the end of life thing which is unfortunate and hopefully it all works out well okay let us switch gears there's there's no secret that newspapers are struggling and it's really i don't think it's because of liberal bias or things like that although i i do think over the years, that that's hurt newspapers because I think there's kind of like a group, and I, I'm talking about in generalities. I think there's been sort of this like group think that's out there. I think the local newspaper for years and years just treated you know anybody who was a conservative, um, people who listened to talk radio shows that you were you know we're we're not going to write 
to, to for you, and they miss the huge chunk of, of the market. So I, I do think there's a liberal bias, but that's not the reason, at the end of the day, I think newspapers are struggling. The, the thing is that newspapers are, at least the daily newspaper stuck in your mailbox or put on your doorstep, has become a, a dinosaur. And I just don't think there's any way you can argue about this. I mean, it used to be that the way newspapers generated revenue was through subscribers, you know, the people who pay the subscriptions, and then through print advertising, and then through classified ads. Well, nowadays, nobody puts classified, nobody pays for classified ads anymore. I mean, it's, it's all over the Internet. You know, 20 years ago, you'd pick up the Sunday paper, and there was like three sections of classified advertising. That, that's just not how people do things anymore. As a result of fewer people reading and getting the hard copies delivered, well, the ability to charge for ads has gone down. And as a result, they've had to increase the price for subscriptions. And more and more people have simply said no. I mean, I, I told the story a while ago. I, I was a subscriber to the local paper. I mean, physically getting it delivered for a long time. And I got the renewal and they wanted like 480 bucks. And I said, well, no, that's way too much money. And they called, well, oh, you've been a subscriber for a long time. Tell you what, we'll give you a deal. 340 or whatever. They said, well, no, that's not a lot. So, I mean, I, I still get the paper, but I get it digitally. And I think you pay. $25 a year or whatever it is. All right. So, I mean, you still subscribe, but you do it digitally. It's just, it's changed. The dynamic has changed. People want the information. I believe that. But, you know, the, it's the delivery system that is, I, I think, flawed. Plus, it's an expensive delivery system. It costs a fortune to produce a newspaper, to, you know, actually set it up and print it out and then deliver it. it it's, it's extremely expensive. And because a lot of newspapers are publicly owned, there's an incredible pressure to, again, you know, meet numbers and, and make investors happy. And if you're not growing your revenues substantially, the only way you can do that, the only way you can increase your bottom line is by cutting people and things like that. And that's, I, I think, what you've seen going on in the world of newspapers, maybe a bit of an oversimplification. But, I mean, I grew up reading newspapers, and I, I love, 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 love newspapers. There was a point not that long ago when I used to get Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Milwaukee Journal, the New York Times, and the Chicago Tribune delivered. And, and now I, I'm down to... I'm down to, I get the New York Times on weekends and I get the Wall Street Journal on a daily basis, but only because there was some special deal that I thought was worth it. But I, I do have subscriptions so I can check it out digitally. So I'm getting the information, you know, again, I'm getting the information. I want the information, but I'm just getting used to it in a different way. And while I've always liked the idea of sitting down with a newspaper, at the same time, what I found is, you know, you can go online, and again, if you're a subscriber, you can check out what the daily print edition looks like, and you can just kind of read through it, and I end up doing that. Now, I bring this up because Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, is one of the oldest newspapers in the country. It was launched 232 years ago, 232 years ago. Um they have announced that they are going to be discontinuing daily, that is seven-day-a-week publication of this. What they're going to do is beginning this weekend, they're not going to be seven days a week. They're going to cut back to five days a week beginning this weekend. 
Um, and, and what they said is that it just, it doesn't make any sense for us to do this seven days a week. And so they've announced it to the newsroom and they're going to be, you know, cutting back accordingly. Now they're going to continue to do again the digital edition. That's going to continue to be updated. But as far as something that's actually being put in your mailbox or put, you know, on your doorstep seven days a week, they're saying it just doesn't make any sense, which means that they don't think they can make money out of this. So they're cutting back to five days a week. There's some newspapers that have taken even more dramatic um, cutbacks than that. But this is, at least at this point, it's the largest newspaper um, to make this step. Um, and so now the city of Pittsburgh is going to be without a daily produced newspaper. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you miss a, a daily newspaper? And I'm talking about, again, the hard copy of the paper that you either go and buy from the newsstand or ends up delivered to your doorstep. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is not going out of business, but they're transitioning towards a digital model where, yeah, you can still get the information, but you're going to have to be online to get it. Now, they're producing it five days a week, but my guess is that the trend is going to be to cut back. Would you miss a daily newspaper, or is this just the wave of the future? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. If something like this were to happen locally, you know, would it would it be devastating for you? Or have the way we consume our news and information is it changing? 414-799-1620, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette going down to five days a week instead of seven. We discuss next. It's 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple of people are saying, which days of the week are is the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette not going to publish on? Tuesday, Saturday. Now, why would you do Monday instead of Tuesday? I'll give you a hint. When do the football team play? It, it, that's like... Yeah. I mean, like the Journal Sentinel. I mean, they'd say, okay, well, if you get rid of Monday publication, no, that's when people went to Packer News. And I'm sure it's the same thing true with the Steelers. So they, they are discontinuing publication of a hard copy of the paper on Tuesday and Saturday. They continue their, their digital editions. I actually think it's the wave of the future. Steve in Greenfield. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, uh, you know, people used to listen to records and eight tracks, and, you know, back in the day. And, you know, people didn't stop listening to music. They're just listening to a different, you know, format now digitally. Right. And, and it takes, I mean, look, it takes a bit of adjustment. Like I say, I, now I, I, I like to see, just professionally as much as anything, I like to see how the local newspaper is laid out. So part of my routine is, you know, every morning, you know, I'll, I'll go to the website, I'll click on the, you know, daily paper thing, and so you can see where stories are getting played. But I do it digitally, and I, and I admit it was a bit of a pain maybe for the first week, and now I don't think anything of it. It's just it's the way it works. You get used Absolutely. to it. And I yep. – yeah, I mean, thanks. I mean, I think that's – you, you just end up getting used to it. And, again, this is – people want information now more than ever. There, there's no question of, about it. But they want information on their own terms. They, they want information when they want it. I know that sounds simplistic, but they don't, they don't want to have to wait until, 
gee, the, the newspaper ends up in the mailbox at six o'clock in, in the morning. You know, if, if they're, if it's 11 o'clock at night and they happen to be awake and that's when they want their information, well, that's when they want their information. And so what I think is you're, you're seeing the, the media outlets adapt to that and to the extent they can, you know, the constant updating of the websites. It's still valuable. There's still going to be that desire and that demand, but the, the delivery form of that information I mean, I think the actual hard copies of newspapers, unfortunately, are they're dinosaurs. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to. I mean, I'm willing to bet. I don't know that there's anybody nowadays. I, I used to say under thirty. I, I'm thinking maybe there's nobody under forty who, other than maybe if they're sitting waiting for their oil to be changed in their car or something, who you know picks up a newspaper on a regular basis. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dale in Waukesha. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hey, thanks for the call. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Sir. I, I kind of go back with you. I, in fact, I remember McHale's Navy very well. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to that point, you know, I, I love the Sunday newspaper sitting around for an hour or two reading the paper and going through all the sections. I will miss that, but it's going away. And right now, my most disappointing facet is with the local newspaper is, man, there's nothing local anymore. Right. Um, I pick up the sports page and on Saturday mornings, there used to be, a, you know, two, three pages of prep football mm-hmm. and uh, scores and the whole deal. There's right. nothing in there anymore. Um, it's, it's very disappointing. And actually, when you go through the scoreboard, everything is late. They don't even right. have any updated scores. And with you know, you know, everything on my phone right now, I know what scores are. You know, the night of the event. So well, sure. Right. Will obviously take well, place, I mean, but, and deal, I mean, I'll give you an example. Okay, when when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office after I got out of law school, at the time we had two newspapers in the city of Milwaukee: you had the Journal and you had the Sentinel. Believe it or not, each of them had a reporter assigned to the federal building beat, and they would compete to try to get stories. And, and you actually had trials that were covered and plea agreements that were covered. I mean, there were people that looked at the court calendar and said, okay, this is what's coming up, and they went and they covered it. And there were people that actually sat through trials. They had a courthouse reporter who did the same thing. You know, And that, that was and we've lost that. And I, I understand this isn't a criticism. It's just the reality is the economics of it. They can't afford those type of people anymore. So all you get is the very, very highest profile thing, maybe. Yeah, and, and obviously on the national uh, level as well, a lot of those stories in there, they're snippets, but we already had that information on our phone 12 hours ago prior to getting on our doorstep. So a lot of that's going away. I'm going to miss it when it does go away, and especially, like you said, Paying four hundred bucks a year is it really worth it anymore? No, right. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, this again. I, I don't want this to be interpreted. It was just a personal decision I made. But I mean, I still I subscribe. But again, it's the digital subscription. Because one of the other things I was finding is I just don't have the time anymore, especially on a daily basis, to sit down and and go through hard copies of a newspaper. I, I don't now. Again, I get like I said, I get the New York Times on on weekends. And, uh, you know, on weekends, that's kind of my sort of Sunday morning routine during the fall and the winter when I'm not playing golf. It, it's to kind of go through that. And I I still like browsing through a newspaper. But at the same time, I am of a different generation than maybe the 20-somethings are coming up. I mean, we talked yesterday about the, this big trend. They're rolling out the new iPhones, you know, in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that they're doing on the iPhones, they're, they're now, it's the largest screens ever. It's like 6.4, 6.5 inches. And, and one of the reasons is because people don't use their phones anymore as phones. They, they really use them as, as mini laptop computers. And that the size is all about it. So people, people are using it for the video. You want the big screens. And that's the thing that they're looking for. They're, you know, they're, they're watching, 
You're downloading the apps and you're watching baseball games on your, your phone. You're, you know, reading the newspapers. You're going to the different websites. You're checking all the social media. You're, you're doing it on your phone. The idea of actually getting that, that hard copy of a, of a book. My, my wife kids me. She says, you want to, she, she's got a Kindle. She says, you want a Kindle, you know, or, you know, whatever the equivalent is. And I said, no, I, I really, I still, I still like, you know, taking the paperback book with me on the road and sitting there and actually turning the pages. But again, I understand I'm kind of a dinosaur when it comes to that. Here's Todd and Sheboygan. He texts, Jeff, I'm at a stage in life where I don't necessarily have time to sit down with a newspaper every day, but in general, I would miss having a physical newspaper. When I'm on a flight or waiting in an airport or I'm on vacation, I love to grab a paper and just sit around and relax and read, still better than digital. I agree. I agree. And I'm kind of the same way, but the truth is you're not going to be able to make a sustainable business model if all you're doing is selling papers to people who are waiting in airports or on vacation. You're just not going to be able to do it other than that's kind of the model that USA Today has developed. And, you know, God bless them. I mean, this isn't a, you know, it's it's not at all, again, an indictment of the, the people that produce the papers. It's just the way this is um, changing. All right, here's the text. This is from Dana. I'm under 40. I'm 36, and I love the physical paper. We get it twice a week. I don't use it for breaking news, though. I like to read about local businesses and love leading, reading recipes and interviews with people who have the interesting houses. I also like travel sections. I just don't like reading it on a screen. Yeah, I mean, it's there is something you know great about getting the paper, but I just I got to tell you, Dana, I don't know that there's enough 36 year olds out there that feel the way that that you do, especially about a daily paper. I mean, maybe one of the community shoppers or something that might be different. In any event. I think this is going to be an ongoing trend. The news this week, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. It's been around for over 200 years, saying we're going to discontinue seven-day-a-week publication. Now it's down to five, and they're saying that this is the first step in what they believe is an effort that will ultimately lead to it being completely digital. Hmm. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, there's this new book that is just out. It's called Baseball Cop, The Dark Side of America's National Pastime. It's written by a guy named Eddie Dominguez, who is a former member of Major League Baseball's Department of Investigations. And um, also, he was a security guy with the Boston Red Sox, and apparently... He was doing security and stuff during a lot of the, uh, the the scandals, the PED scandals. And I'm looking at an excerpt of the book now. If you want a, a link to that, what I'm going to be talking about, you can text me the word Braun, B-R-A-U-N, to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, because the, you know, the, the whole Ryan Braun PED scandal, and you will remember this from a number of years ago, he gets suspended. Braun goes, it says, there's some mistake. I was set up, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately backs off and ends up serving a, a, a substantial suspension. And it, the details of what happened have really never become public. Well, this, this book kind of, I think, kind of shed some light on it. In any event, Eddie Dominguez, who is the security guy with baseball, he interviews as part of his book, Tony Bosch who was the founder of Biogenesis, and this was the, Biogenesis was the outfit, the anti-aging clinic out of Florida that was providing, like, the PEDs to a number of of players. All right, here's the excerpt. Here's what, at least in the excerpt I have, it says about Ryan Braun. 
he, that would be Bosch. The, the, and you got to take this with a grain of salt. Again, this is what the guy who was supplying the PEDs said. So he, he's not some noble soul, but take it with a grain of salt. But here's what the book says. He singled out Ryan Braun as a particularly reckless user. Ryan Braun had something called troches, T-R-O-C-H-E-S. They called it gummy bears. They're actually lozenges. They had testosterone in them, 15%. I already had these guys juiced, so all they had to do was, this was an activator, a little testosterone. They would drop it in the first inning. It was gone by the fifth inning. And unless you pulled him out of a game and tested him, you would never find out. So you could test him before and test him after and never know. And so what happened with Braun was simple, he said. The guy took it like 30 gummy bears. He took one in the third inning. Then he took one in the fifth inning. Then he took one in the seventh inning. Then he took one. He was just popping it like it was candy. Uh, Bosch recreated a conversation with Braun, and this is, the, this is the author, and I had to smile after hearing the anecdote retold. How many did you take? I took five. I took six. How much did you take? Okay, I took the whole thing. Um, Bosch described a testing policy full of holes, including when and where players are tested. I didn't start working until midnight. I didn't finish until 5 a.m. That was my work day with these athletes. You'd never see me during the day with these guys. We did everything in the middle of the night. Even if you wanted to use liquid testosterone, all right, you're going to get it at 12 o'clock at night, at midnight, and by 9, 10 a.m., it's out of your system. And if you microdose it, well, good luck testing for it. Another example, off-season, like really, my guys, they were in the middle of an ocean on a boat. What are you going to do? So um, in, in any event, that's you can take this, you know, again, consider the source, and you can take it with a grain of salt or whatever. But uh, interesting new book. It, it just it just dropped, and they're releasing this. And if you want at least this guy's version, the guy who was at Biogenesis, his version is told to an investigator from Major League Baseball of, of what happened with Ryan Braun. That's I don't know if there's more to it than that, but that's in the portion that we had. If you want to link to the larger story, again, if you text me the word Braun, B-R-A-U-N to 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will share it. it it's, you know, for, for whatever Ryan Braun might have done several years ago, I mean, I, I think, you know, he continues to be a valuable cog in the, the Brewers' offense and seems like he's kind of found his swing again, and so that's, that's all a very, a very, very positive thing. But if you're wondering what happened, what more of the story is, at least this is one version of it. All right, 241. When we return, it used to be the thing that almost everybody around here did. Now, fewer and fewer of us do. Is it having a resurgence? Stick around. 241. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I acknowledge it. It's sort of old news, but it's really never... You know, what, what Ryan Braun allegedly did that got him suspended, it's never really come out. And now this new book that's out says, uh, at least they, they claim to have an interview with the guy who was providing the, the, the testosterone and he, he's telling his story if you want to link to it and you can take it with a grain of salt. I mean, whether you believe him or not, but it's a book written by one of the investigators for Major League Baseball. I admit I'm curious because my, I suspect that I suspect that there's some people who are in authority at Major League Baseball who probably aren't going to like this tell-all book, but I guess I, I don't know enough about it yet um, to, to know. But I think that might be on my nightstand reading list the next day or so. All right. There was a time 
when almost everybody in Wisconsin bowled. They, they, they just did. It was, I, I can remember a time where, you know, mom and dad would have their like weekly bowling night. And then maybe there was, you know, the after work bowling league. And then there was the family recreational bowling league. And, and it was, it was a big deal because this is about the time that the bowling leagues are starting up. But I, I can remember, you know, that time when, uh, again, bowling was a huge activity. Uh, around the, the state in the last four years 50 bowling facilities have been closed in the state right now there are about 300 bowling facilities that are still open um some of them i mean the biggest one is the one the bolero out in Wauwatosa, 72 lanes that that's the that's the biggest one that's left in the state Nearly a third of the bowling facilities that are left are six lanes or fewer. Now, my producer, Gruel, there's a place you go to a, a six, what is it called? Falcon Bowl? Falcon Bowl. Six lane bowling alley and a bar. You, you go to that. That's you, and you enjoy that. You and your friend or you and, and Mrs. Gruel. And you love it. Okay. For, for entertainment. Bowling, I think as, as times have changed and as tastes have changed, you know, bowling has fallen out of favor. The number of bowl, people in bowling leagues continues to, to drop. And so as a result, you know, a lot of the operators are trying to come out with, you know, creative ways to get people in, including, okay, let's go well, parties and, and food and party rooms and use it more of as a social thing. But one of the things that they are, are saying is that they, they think that bowling is sort of making a resurgence, maybe because it's a retro thing, maybe because it's just, I mean, people are kind of rediscovering it. But I was talking about this, like I say, with my producer the other day, and he was like, I love this. You know, and I, it, it's just a, a great opportunity. I love, I love to go over. There's this place that he goes to. He says, you know, they've got open bowling on Wednesday nights, and, you know, we will go and do that. That's different than it was years and years ago, of course. But it does appear that bowling might be on the verge of making a comeback. All right, I want to tee this up. We've only got, you know, a few minutes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I can remember growing up in Wisconsin where essentially recreation, I mean, bowling was a, a main recreation that people engaged in from, you know, September through, you know, April. All the different leagues. Now, I, for one, I didn't sign up for leagues because I, I just wasn't able to make that commitment of time. You know, the fact that you have to go there, you know, every Thursday or whatever. But I know a lot of people who did. And certainly a lot of people of my parents' generation did. And I suspect there's some people who are my age that, that did. All right. Bowling. Is it making a resurgence? Is there a continued interest in this? Or are we going to see moving forward bowling centers and the like? Are they going to go the way of newspapers like we were just talking about? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, you've seen an, an effort to try to get young people into bowling with like the midnight bowling and the, you know, the, the disco music or the, the rock and roll music and the lights and stuff and the late night bowling. And I think that works to an extent. But I, I think there's just something about traditional bowling and, and my wife and I went with, um, 
the, the grandkids and some of her kids. And we, we just, we had a, a really good time on a Sunday afternoon. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike and McGuanago. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Mike. Um, the, so we did it for years and years as a couple, so we got on a Friday night. Uh, the problem was is that it's just the season was so long. I mean, it started in September and ends in the end of April. Right. I mean, and you'd be just, you know, you, by the end of it, you'd just be like, hey, I, this is too much. You, you couldn't and, you couldn't make the weekly commitment. It was just too overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Too overwhelming. And I think we, we did it for probably 10 years and finally just said, you know, just it's right. too much for us. We want to go to a fish fry now and then. Right. And you're obligated because you got another couple that's there with you bowling. Right. But did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. We enjoyed it. It just it just got to be too long of a Right. Too much to bear. Yeah. No, thank, well, I mean, I think that, I mean, thanks. I mean, I think that is, I, I think that's, that's the, that's part of the problem is that, you know, people, there's all sorts of demands on people's time now. And the idea of making a commitment that, okay, this is how, we're going to spend Wednesday evening. I, I will tell you, I, I would never do something. I would never do anything anymore, which required me to commit to say, all right, every Wednesday evening from September through April, this is what I'm going to do. That is not conducive to my lifestyle. And I think it's not conducive to a lot of people's lifestyles. So I think those, those, th- that, that aspect of bowling, I don't know that that's ever going to come back. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of people that it probably still has a, appeal to. Tim and Cudahy. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my Hi, call. Hi, Tim. Jeff. Sure. Uh, if it's making a comeback, it sure as heck doesn't seem like it's around here. A um, couple of leagues I've seen is have, are having trouble filling the whole league. Um, I went just open bowling with my girlfriend on Saturday, and we were literally – the only people in the bowling alley. Yeah, but you're talking about a summer in August, the summer weekend in August. I, I wonder if it would be the same thing come October. Um, I'm not sure it would change a heck of a lot. I mean, yeah. you, probably, you probably get a few more people in there. Um, once leagues start, though, it's harder to get the open bowling in. Right, yeah, that's, so, the, that's yeah. the thing. You know, it's interesting. I, I have a text him who says... Um, it is growing. He said, you know, I, the guy's texting me. He says, I participate in these once a month leagues. You know, we, we bowl every fourth Friday and the league is full. You know, you can commit the once a month thing. You can't commit to, you know, once every week though. Yeah, I've done that in the past too. I, I've never had an issue with committing to the fall league. I've always liked it, but I can see where people would have, you know, nobody wants to lock that kind of time up anymore. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I mean, thanks to calling. Of course, that's the, you know, if you're a bowling, if you're a bowling center operator, I mean, the, the leagues, I would imagine, are, are where you make a lot of your money because it's the regulars. It's the people that are that are coming back. You can just kind of pencil that in. Okay, every week, these people are going to be here, and we can estimate that this is what the bar business is going to be and things like that. I mean, like I say, I remember it was during the football season, and we, Fran and I went with, um, again, her daughter and son-in-law and at least two of the grandkids, and we went on a Sunday afternoon, and... We were one of the first people there when we got there, but by the end of the day, by the, by the time we left, I mean, the place was pretty much full. Um, and of course, you, you have to expand. You've got the bar, you've got the restaurant and all that type of stuff. I, I think it's, I mean, I, I hope it's making a comeback because I think it, it's great family entertainment. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Um, well, I think, well, I think it's making a comeback. I mean, I'm a, you're about your age. I don't know how old. I'm, I'm 59, 
and I used to participate in four leagues, some couples, other ones were company ones and things like that. Right. And, um, you know, back then it was like, you said, like you were t- talking earlier, it was like the heyday. Right. Um, but I think it's definitely made a comeback because I know even my kids, they're all in their you know, late 20s, you know, 30s and stuff like that. They go, they go on Friday nights and they go and, and whatnot because a lot of the places that are still open have amped up a lot of the services, a lot of the amenities. Uh, right. You know, the bar and the food and, and things like that. And plus, it's just plain old fun. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's nice and relaxing and there's, you know. Well, I agree. I mean, of- I, I think, right. I mean, I, again, it, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's fun. I mean, I think it's fun as well. You know, we've done it. We've had a, we've just had a good time and you know, you, you're not, now, now again, it's, we're not doing it in the competitive fashion. I don't know about the leagues. And like I say, if, if somebody expected me to commit, you know, every, you know, every Wednesday night, that's not just happen. That, that's not going to happen. It doesn't fit my lifestyle, but I, I hope they don't go away because I, I think that's no, no, a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I don't, I, you know, honestly, it's like everything else. I think some of it, that, as you mentioned earlier, I think some of it's the retro stuff. I mean, right. I really believe that kind of like, Final coming back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. And one of the things, I mean, this is not a knock on the giant bowling centers, but there is something, there there is something that has an appeal to me about you go into the place and it's, you know, you've, you've, you've got the bar and maybe you can get the tombstone pizza in the toaster oven or whatever and they've got the five or six lanes. I, I think there is a future for things like that. But like I say, you're now down to 300 bowling centers in the state of Wisconsin. About a third of those are six lanes or less. But the people that are running it aren't about to give up on it. All right, 254, when we come back, I know Scott Warris has an interview with the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. He's going to be sharing that. We'll find out what else he's got on Wisconsin's Afternoon News in just a moment. Stick around.